Well, good morning. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and it's uh, such a joy to just be able to gather together and um, simply to be able to pray and to worship uh, our King together as a family. What a gift um, it is to me and to see so many of you. And as I scan this room, as I sometimes you have probably learned, I stand at the back there as you're making your way in. I look through the uh, many of you who are here, and I think to myself, I don't know you, and that's a problem. And so um, I want an opportunity we desire, as uh, Kyle said, we want to get to know you a little bit and would love to connect with you further. And so just um, know we're so glad you're here, and I hope um, to have an opportunity to meet you personally um, sometime very soon. If you are uh, with us for the first time, we have been spending our summer weeks um, looking at what scriptures teach us about being a disciple. And the purpose of this is that as we launch into the fall, and Pastor Kyle alluded to this, that the fall, and just it's just the natural way of things, that sort of that fall calendar as we all return back to that rhythm. If you have children in school, you know what that rhythm looks like. That alarm clock is going to come very early here in just a couple weeks. And you're going to kind of kick off this new routine, this new rhythm of life. And so as a church family, we often do that. And we are um, just has been impressed upon us as elders at this church that we want to ensure that we are doing what we have been called to do, which is to make disciples, and that this would be a, a gathering of disciples who are on mission together and making more disciples, and that we're continuing the work that God has given us, and very purposeful in that. And so this fall, there's a lot of things in some ways you might call it strategy or things that we're endeavoring to do to make sure that we can kind of invite you all in on that journey with us, that we all collectively as a family of God would be pursuing Christ together being disciples, and then making disciples. And so this summer, we've spent most of the summer looking at sort of what I would call almost attributes or these marks of a disciple. What is a disciple? What makes someone a disciple of Jesus? And of course, it starts with the gospel. But then as we live that out, what does it look like tangibly in our lives? And this morning, as you heard Stephen read for us from Acts chapter 3, we're going to see this story. It looks like a a story of healing, but ultimately it's a story of ministry that is given to two disciples in the very early days of the church. The church has just begun. We're in Acts chapter 3, and it's just kicking off in terms of the ministry that was handed off from Jesus to the disciples to go out and be ministers of the gospel. And so the, the challenge and the calling as we think about what does this mean for us is it's a reminder that disciples, disciples of Jesus Christ, are ministers. Peter says... That we are a royal priesthood. That's how he defines us. 1 Peter chapter 2. A royal priesthood, a chosen nation, a people of God's own possession. And he's kind of connecting all of the church, the church today, the church throughout the New Testament to the Old Testament calling of a people that God would set apart for himself. That was Israel. And now the church has taken upon that mantle to be a people that God has set apart to be on mission, to live, and to bring glory to his name through the way that we live our lives. That's what Peter describes us. The Bible tells us as a church, you, and I know you don't often feel this way. I can promise you I don't often feel this way. I don't feel like a royal priest. Y'all know I feel like a knucklehead most of the time, all right? I'm just kind of trying to make my way in life. But that's what the Bible says about me. It says about that about you. And so as a royal priesthood, we are ministers, You think of me as a minister or sometimes a pastor. And yes, I have that title, that vocation, that calling on my life. But each and every believer in Jesus 
is called by Scripture a minister of the gospel. You have a responsibility. And so we see this, I hope we'll see this more clearly as we look at the story of Peter and John in the very early days of the church and what they did. First of all, I've given you just a little bit of context. I'm going to unpack this a little bit further. In Acts chapter 3, as I said, this is the very early stages of the New Testament church. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts. These are two books, and in, the very, in his Gospel, he's describing all of the work of Jesus and all that Jesus did. In the first chapter of Acts, we see Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father to go ahead of us and make a place for us, that he's going to call us home. We just sang, the, the, the clouds will be rolled back, there will be a sounding of the trumpet, and the, the Lord will descend, and all of the new heavens and earth will be established at that time. That's the future. That's what Jesus, when he ascended to the Father, he went to prepare and to begin to do that work. And then in Acts chapter 2, we see the church begin to form. And here in 3, the disciples are multiplying and beginning to do that work of the church. They're going out to make disciples, to do what they have been called to do. And so Peter and John go out. And as was the habit at the this, in this season or sort of this time in the world for the Christians, it says in verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Three o'clock in the afternoon, all of God's people, there was essentially twice a day, they would go up to the temple and they would go up there to worship. And they'd go up there, one, to experience um, just the sacrifices that were made by the priests. And this was just a regular part of their daily routine was to go up and worship. And so Peter and John, they go up. And as they go up, of course, they're going to proclaim Jesus and to teach all of these people who are still making sacrifices to God that the final sacrifice has been made once and for all through Christ And so they go up, and as they're going up, they see this man. The man is laying. It says, a man was lame from birth, being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. He would go every day, more than likely, He would go every day that was available to him to be laid. He'd have a friend that would carry him and set him by this gate, And he would go there because he knew that the religious people were making their way to the temple. And of course, religious people seeing the poor and being understanding a lot of the teaching of the Old Testament would have instructed them that if they are holy people, if they're going to be obedient to God, they would give to the poor. They would care for these needs. And so it was a very strategic place for him to go and be laid because he knew that he would get taken care of. He'd receive some food. He'd receive money. He would be helped by the religious people doing what they were intending to do. But His entire life, this is what he had known. His entire life says he was lame from birth. We don't know exactly what his uh, his problem was. We're going to hear later in the story. You heard it read that his feet are made well, his ankles made strong. So there's something that prevented him from walking because he couldn't walk. He couldn't have a job because he couldn't have a job. He couldn't provide for himself, nor could he provide for his family. He was destitute. He was completely and utterly helpless. And so he would go in his entire life This is what he had experienced until today, this day that we read of. Now, as we read this story, you heard it read for us. You might be asking, it would be right for you to ask. This is a helpful tip if you're wondering, how do I study my Bible? What should I do when I read stories in Scripture? Why did Luke recount this story in this place? And why did God deliver this miracle in the way that he did in the very early stages of the church? As you read your Bible, I just encourage you, always ask yourself the question, what is God doing? What does this teach me about who God is? 
Don't so quickly look for something for yourself, but look about who God is. By the way, the scriptures are given to us to magnify God. And as God is magnified, we sing this sometimes in our church, as God is made bigger, the small things become small. And so as God, as we look at the Bible and we read these stories, there's a reason that Luke recounts this and that God delivers this miracle in the time that he did, when he did that. Sorry, my bottle's pouring all over my Bible here. The reason was, is that God is showing the people of this day, the people that would see this miracle occur, he's showing them that he's still at work. If you have read much of Jesus' life in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those we call the four Gospels, the stories of Jesus' life, if you've read much of those, you'll see, you'll kind of hear, even in the recounting of this story, this sounds a lot like the miracles that Jesus performed. He would meet someone. He would say, you, your faith has made you well. They'd be healed. They'd be restored, okay? And that in the same way, this is what happens. Peter and John come upon this man, and he's healed. And so it's a continuation. There's this, this story that is continuing to take place. And the reason that Luke gives us this is because they have just seen, I want you to think about what these people have just experienced. They've seen Jesus going all around, performing miracle after miracle. Many have believed that he is the promised Messiah, that he is God, that he is who he says he was. But then he was crucified. He died. Wait, the Messiah died? Now, many did see his resurrection. They experienced that. They experienced him walking. It says that Jesus presented himself to hundreds of people would have experienced it. But in the context of the world at that time, there were many questions Was he the Messiah? Was he truly God? Is he who he said he was? And so God, by giving us this story in this section, he is teaching and he's showing these people that it actually happened to, the lame person, the man that was begging for help, as well as all of the people that would witness this, he's showing them that he's still at work. This wasn't read for you, but if you jump down to later in the verse, or excuse me, later in chapter 3, Peter says in verse 16, he talks about Jesus and what had happened to Jesus. And then in chapter 3, verse 16, he says, And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Verse 9, previously you did hear Stephen read this. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Prior to this miracle, perhaps there were some that had experienced this were wondering, is Jesus still alive? Is Jesus still doing anything? Is he still at work? Here we see testimony. They were reassured that the same Jesus who was at work, that they saw moving on this earth, although he had gone to be with the Father, he had ascended to heaven, that he was still moving today. We are a part of a church planning network. It's called Acts 29. And you Bible scholars, of which I know there are many in the room, you always ask yourself, you say to me, but there's only 28 chapters in Acts. You're right. You're very wise. And the reason that our church planning network is called Acts 29, it's a little bit of just a, a reminder to us when we think about that and we talk about that, that the same God who was at work in the Old Testament, who then moved through Jesus and was at work in his life delivering and did all the work that he did, the same Jesus that healed this man is the same Jesus who's still at work today, moving and delivering and performing miracle after miracle. 
We worship the same God, the same Holy Spirit is moving. And so it's a good reminder to us of what God is doing, that he hasn't forgotten us, that he still is on the move. So this is what God, why God, gives us this miracle in this place and gives the early church, sort of reinvigorates the church a little bit, very early on to show I'm still at work. I'm still doing what I intended to do. So Peter and John go up to the temple. They see this man who's been there every day of his life. The first thing that I think we can learn from this is that we see two disciples who are aware. Notice what Peter says. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about, uh, about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Just think about more than likely this man's life, laying by the gate his entire life, people going up to the temple to worship. What would our typical process be? I'm going over there. I know there's a lot of things happening over here. Oh, you need some food here, God. Let me give you some change. Let me give you some money. Let me give you some food. But I've got a mission. I'm going over here to worship God. I'm not really concerned about you. I'm, 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 I'm on a, I have a purpose. I have something to do today. I've got busy. I only have three hours left in the afternoon. I've got to get all this stuff done. I've got to get up here, go to the temple real quick so I can get back and finish doing whatever I have to do. But here we see two disciples very aware of their mission and their purpose and what God has called them to do and also sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit, what God is speaking to them in their heart. They turn and they look at this man in need. I can promise you more than likely this man had not been looked at very often. That was not the regular. For him to be even spoken to, to say, look at us, would have been something that shocked him. That's why he responds and he fixed his attention on them. This was clearly something that was a little bit out of the ordinary for this man. How aware are we of what we're doing in our daily life? Do we get so consumed sometimes with whatever we have on our schedule, on our calendar to do, that we miss those opportunities to just yield to the Holy Spirit and slow down and pause and say, I'm going to have a conversation here? I can just tell you this is an area in my life that I'm growing in and I'm constantly striving to remind myself of every day. Slow down. See people as God sees them. Be aware of what's happening in their life. And be attentive. That doesn't mean, by the way, that I walk around taking care of everyone. I'm just try, striving to be attentive and to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to what God is saying Make that phone call. Slow down. Go have that conversation. Don't worry about that. Is your, are our calendar so filled that we have no space for the Holy Spirit to move? I can tell you this is something that we talk about a lot as a church family. Some of you may have picked up on this, but we have, in a sense, sort of three things that we really strive to prioritize as a church. Sunday morning worship gatherings. Second Sunday evening worship and prayer. Fourth Sunday, community night. Just three things on our church calendar. Yes, there are other things that get filled in this summer. You're thinking to yourself, y'all have gone crazy. Yeah, we did a lot this summer. With kids and students, we're trying to keep the energy levels high. But as a rule, those are the corporate things. Those are the things that we invite every person in the church. We want you to be a part of those three things. And why intentionally do we only have three things? To leave some space to leave room for you to go and spend time with your neighbor, 
Not to just always have to come up here and feel this obligation. That's not what we're called to do. We want to leave some room. So this is what we see. John and Peter are attentive to the needs that are around them. Notice what Peter says after he speaks to him and he fixes his attention on them. In verse 6, Peter says, this is the central verse of this story. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. We saw there at, this man was laid at the beautiful gate. There are many gates to the temple. Most of those you can't see any longer, but these gates were entrances to go up to the temple. And so they would sort of, that's again, all of the people would make their way. And there was a couple of gates, and it's believed that this is where this man was laid. A couple of gates that were very ornate. They were covered in silver and gold, made to look very, very beautiful. A lot of expense to these particular gates. And so Peter, more than likely, looking up and seeing these sort of the decorations, the things, this beautiful gate that was there, he says, I don't have any of that to offer you. I don't have silver or gold. I don't have anything of this world to offer you. But listen what he says. But what I do have, I give to you. What I do have, I give to you. The most valuable thing in Peter's life was Jesus. Jesus was his prized possession. This relationship with Christ was all that mattered, was his most valuable thing. We've seen over the last month many people being rewarded for their hard work with gold and silver and bronze medals, these things that are of value. They've invested their entire lives in obtaining these medals, many of them. Peter would say, I don't have any of that. Paul would say, I forget all of my accomplishments from the past. Everything, as Brother Kent taught on last week, I forget the past. I I lay this all aside, who I was, for the sake of knowing Christ. Christ was most valuable. And this is what Peter offers to Jesus. I don't have anything else, but this is what I offer you. So many of us, we also, like these Olympic athletes perhaps, have given our lives to many things, things that pursuits of our hearts, and God has gifted us uniquely in various ways, and pursuing those things and doing all those things very well to the best of our ability is is right and good. But it becomes a problem when those pursuits, yes, those things that take so much of our time, so much of our energy, become most valuable to us. Jesus must be our prized possession, must be the thing that we hold most dearly in our lives. Is Jesus most valuable to you? Because here's what I can tell you. As we go out into the world, this man's life, the day after meeting Peter and John, would have been the exact same as it had been his entire life if they had not had Jesus to offer him. They could have given him food. They could have given him a lot of silver and gold. And the next day, he would have been brought up to the beautiful gate, laid there, asking for help again. But it's because these disciples, obedient to see the need, they, and they had Jesus They knew Jesus. Jesus, they had a relationship with him. They were able to offer him the only thing that really mattered and the only thing that would transform his life. Do you see your relationship with Christ as most valuable? 
Or is it something else? We need to reorder our priorities, church. Christ is the only thing, the only one who truly matters. He is our prized possession, our relationship with him. And when we go out into the world, we don't strive to offer the world all of ourselves. You've heard me say this many times. If you've been here very long, why do we preach the way we preach in this church? Because I don't want to give you myself because I have nothing to offer you. I want to give you Jesus. We want to give you Jesus. Jesus is most valuable. And so we exposit the scriptures because we know I could tell you a bunch of funny stories that would keep you laughing for a while. But guess what? There's a lot of guys that could do that way better than me. They're way funnier. We could give you all sorts of things that are of no value. Don't transform your life. Jesus is what has transformed our lives, my life. Jesus is, what is who will transform your life. And so we offer you the one thing that will transform, which is Jesus. I talked about the fact that this miracle reflects the miracles of Jesus. There's a very clear difference here, though, in what Peter says to him. See, Jesus, when he would deliver, when he would perform a miracle of healing, he would just say, rise up and walk. Go do, and th- do this thing. You, be, you are healed. Because he had the authority to do that. Do you remember when we closed the Sermon on the Mount? They were amazed at the authority with which Jesus spoke. They saw someone. He had the authority because he was God to say and do what he wanted to do. Here, Peter doesn't say, I heal you in my name. I don't heal you under my own power. Again, we read those verses where he says, it wasn't me. He healed, he offered healing to this man in the name of Christ, in Jesus' name. It's always Jesus' power at work. Many times I've had the blessing of being able to meet with you, many of you in this room, go to a hospital, be on a FaceTime lately with you in the hospital or with a family member or friend, make a phone call to pray. And if you've experienced that, you know that what we ask the Lord for, what I pray in those moments, you don't need any healing in Ryan's name. You don't need any healing or any support in Jesus' name. We ask for healing in Jesus' name because even though there is a doctors and nurses and so many people who are gifted miraculously by God to do what he's called them to do, they are tools in his hands. He is the one that does the healing. He is the one that delivers Miraculously, it's all about Jesus. And so we remember, even when there are physical miracles that we experience, healing of any sorts, spiritual miracles, it is Jesus at work. And this is who we as disciples, as we go out into the world as ministers of the gospel, we offer the world Jesus. They don't need more of us. They don't need our opinions. They don't need our thoughts and our ideas. They need Jesus. We need Jesus. Jesus is all I have to offer. As people of God, would we attest to the same? Jesus is all I have to give you. The man is healed in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Verse 7, we see the response. 
And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This is what happens to this man. And again, I want want you to keep in mind the context. His entire life, he had laid at that gate asking for other people to help him. No ability to enter into the temple. You know what happened in the temple? That's where he could worship God. That's where he could experience the presence of God. That's where he could have a relationship with God. And in his entire life, he had never been able to do that until he received Jesus. And now, look what happens. Receiving Jesus, he stands up, he leaps up, and he walks. His feet are made strong, and he is able to go in and enter into the temple and worship God, praising God. Some of us are like this man. Some of you today, I expect, are like this man. Yes, you're here in the presence of God's people. Perhaps you've even been attending Some of you maybe have been attending since we started in a middle school gym. But for some reason, deep in your heart and your soul, you've never experienced a relationship with God. You've never felt like you were welcomed in. This is what you need to hear today. Jesus welcomes you because he can. This man was healed in Jesus' name, and for the first time, he was able to enter in. Yes, it's a physical healing, but it's a spiritual healing. He was able to enter in based upon what Jesus had done. Some of you, if you're like this, you may have even asked yourself this a multitude of times. How come every time, almost every time, every other time I'm here, all I hear about is Jesus died, three days later he rose up from the grave, and he's, in the, he's, he's coming back for us. I just hear this story over and over and over again. And you ask yourself, why is that? Why do, they talk, why do Christians always talk about Jesus' death? It's because it's the only thing we have to offer you. It's because by his death alone, we are able to enter into the presence of God and to worship God. And you've been telling yourself or you've been hearing the lies of the enemy your whole life that have said, you're not worthy to enter into my presence. I don't love you enough. Do you understand this sin that you have outstanding? These things. And you're thinking to yourself, I have no ability to go to God. And Jesus says, come to me. And the reason he can say that is because he laid down his life. He came and lived a perfect, sinless life. And he went to the cross to take God's wrath against sin once and for all, for all time. And you want to know how we know that that sacrifice, that God's found his sacrifice on the cross acceptable? It's because three days later, he took up his life again. See, Jesus is the only one, the only God. You heard Kent say this last week. He's the only one who does not have a grave that is full. He rose again, and when he rose again, he proved that what God had done on the cross, that the wrath that he had taken on the cross, God said it was enough. It satisfied. And so the reason that we tell that story so often is because it's through Christ, what he has done on our behalf, his sacrifice for you and for me, that we can enter into the presence of God. We can have a relationship with Almighty God. He laid down his life 
proved that that sacrifice was enough when he took his life up again three days later. And as we put our faith in him, we are welcomed in. What an amazing truth. What an amazing gift that is to us. This is the miracle of the hope of the gospel. Now, I don't have much time left, so I'm going to go really fast here, but here's what I want you to hear. Look at the response of the people. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement, wondering what happened. As they saw the miracle of God at work in his life, he became a living testimony of God's faithfulness. And guess what? We said disciples are ministers. Disciples are a royal priesthood. We are people who have a purpose in how we live in this world. I'm going to draw your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to encourage you, go read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21 this afternoon, this evening. Sometime just meditate on that text. But I want to focus in on one verse. Verse 18, after describing, or excuse me, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That man that laid at the temple was made new by Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself when Jesus went to the cross God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them because he counted our trespasses against Christ himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Why are we ministers of reconciliation? Why are disciples people who believe this and live this way? It's because we have been given a ministry by God, a ministry to go out into the world to declare of his kindness, of his goodness, of all the things that he has done. And the way that we do that, we proclaim that with our words, but we also live in the world in such a way that we say it is well. Our circumstances do not impact our joy and our hope. The circumstances look bleak. The circumstances look dire. This world, I say I'm a train wreck. This world is a train wreck. It's a disaster, friends. I don't know if you've noticed that. Things are not going well. But they're well in our souls because we have Jesus. And as it is well in our souls and we live that way, we don't run around like Chicken Little saying that the world is coming to an end. We run around... Like Jesus, people saying, Jesus has made me well. We leap with joy and hope in what Jesus has done in our lives. And the circumstances look crazily bleak. And the world says, those people are strange. But I want what they have. I want the hope that they have. I want the joy that they have. Jesus came and reconciled us to himself. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation to go out into the world and to give people Jesus. So if you're a believer this morning, you call yourself a Christ follower, a Christian, whatever term you might use, be a people who make disciples, who go out and offer the world the one thing of value, Jesus. 
Not so many other things, but value Jesus and give the world Jesus. Let us pray. Holy Spirit of God, we ask for your help this morning. This calling that you've placed on our lives is a challenging one. I know how often I'm tempted to just try and give the world something from me, from myself, and the world doesn't need any of that. The world needs Jesus. Thank you for this testimony that you recorded in Scripture that reminds us, Jesus, that although you weren't physically present with Peter and John, you had sent your Holy Spirit to fill them and equip them to do the ministry you'd given them to do. And that same Holy Spirit is at work today in our lives. So help each and every one of us who call ourselves by your name, Jesus, to value you most. And to give the world only you. To save the world. I don't have anything else. I don't have a lot of wisdom. I don't have a lot of knowledge. I don't claim to have anything figured out, but I do know this. I know Jesus secures my hope and my future. And so it is well. Would you help us to be a church that declares that with our lives, Jesus? Make us like yourself. Help us to see others like you see them, Jesus. Help us to be attentive as as Peter and John were to this need. And for anyone in this room who's been laying on the outside asking for help day after day, week after week, month after month, perhaps year after year, Holy Spirit, move today. We say in Jesus' name, rise up and walk and believe that you have been made new, that your life has been transformed, that your future is abundantly bright no matter what the circumstances might say. Holy Spirit, move and help them to believe so that they might enter in and worship you with their whole hearts this morning as if they, as, as they had never have before. Would you make that so, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.